I'm back here with Jennifer Lackey and Jim Frost, uh, two counselors from Agape who work here in the Middle Tennessee area with teenagers, children, with families, uh, addressing multiple situations that teenagers might I mean, uh, bring to our offices as youth ministers. And in our first part uh, podcast with these guys, we, we talked about some general principles, kind of what are some things not to do, some, some ways to approach these situations, and also when to know and how to know whether to take this to the, the, the professional level, the, the level of professional counseling or not. I'm excited about uh, the opportunity that we have here in this podcast to, to hit some, you know, just kind of back-to-back, here's a situation that youth ministers uh, might face and might struggle with. So let's get started if you guys are okay. Yes. Ready. Um, and, and thanks again for, for doing this and for being here. Let's start with suicide, uh, suicidal ideation. Um, we might hear of this from a friend who sends a text saying, hey, my buddy just told me something and it sounds like he might hurt himself. And we might hear this from a teenager. If we suspect suicide is in play or suicidal thoughts are happening, what do we do? I think it's important, you know, anytime somebody is depressed that you do address the question of suicide. I mean, one of the great myths is that if you if you ask someone if they have those thoughts that you're actually, you know, putting an idea in their head, you yeah. know. Nobody is going to kill themselves because somebody suggested it. I, I mean, you know, somebody asked them if, they're, if they've had that thought. Um, what is really true is that people feel um, sometimes embarrassed or shamed about having those thoughts, and they're, they're afraid to bring it up. And when someone else brings okay. it up, then they feel comfortable talking about it. That is so good for me to hear. So you're saying a student walks in my office and talks about being really depressed what really might be going on is suicidal ideation or some kind of thought of suicide. Right. And it might be a relief to the student to hear me say, have you, have you had any thoughts about hurting yourself? Yes. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes what I do is I say, you know, when people are, uh, and, and I often, you know, with teenagers will avoid the word depression because it sounds so clinical. Yeah. Um, if the teen uses it, then, then I'm comfortable using it. But I might just talk about being really sad or really down. Uh, try to use the language that they're most comfortable addressing the problem with. But I might say when, you know, when somebody gets really down, sometimes they get so sad that they even wonder whether they want to live. Uh, that's sort of a gentle way to sort of open the door. And if you get a yes from that, then you might get a little more specific. Uh, have you ever, you know, gone so far as to have thoughts of maybe wanting to kill yourself? If you get a yes, then the next question would be, you know, have you thought about specific ways that you might do that? Mm-hmm. You know, if you get a yes, you know, the next thing that you want to figure out is, uh, are those methods that they're considering, are, you know, are they methods likely to be lethal or are they not likely to be lethal? And, you know, obviously, is it available yeah. to the students? Yes. Is this a possibility? Are, are they available? And, and you know, the, the more you, you, okay. you get yeses into these sort of questions, then the more... Uh, urgent the situation is. I I always, I mean, if I get lots of yeses, my next question is, you know, have you tried? And if the answer is no, uh, then I want to know what keeps you from trying or why have you not tried? Um, And and here's where you may begin to feel, I mean, I've had people say, um, uh, 
you know, I, I'm concerned about how that would impact my family, or uh, I know that my friends would be upset. Um, you know, what are the resources in that person's life, the important commitments they have that um, sort of support them against trying to hurt themselves? Obviously, anytime you're getting into um, kids who are having any kind of suicidal thinking, it's a great time to call in the professionals. It's a great time to make a referral. In all of that, first of all, that is so good for me to hear because I think I would be afraid to plant an idea in. So I, I don't know that I would keep taking those steps. That's really helpful. The uh, And then the, the second thing would be there might be multiple stops along that path you described right. where I might think, it's time to panic. Do we still apply the don't panic or, or don't with panic. suicide? <laughs> you know, I'm still not panicking. Don't panic. You know, when you're dealing with someone who's in that position, uh, it's great for them to be in the room with somebody who is got their wits about them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. somebody that they can, they can kind of let everything loose and know that yeah. somebody's got their hands on the wheel, you know, yeah, that's because if, if you panic, then they really do feel like nobody's in control. So there's a difference between panic and resolve inside me to do to do right. something about right. this. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of times what comes into my office is it's and it's a little bit more tricky of knowing where do you go with it is the passive suicide suicidal thoughts the the thoughts that passive suicidal like more thoughts. Pa- passive suicidal thoughts is what I call them and like basically where it's a person. I kind of want to go to sleep and wake up and not have to deal with this ever again. Or I wish that there was a way for me to die and then once this was over, I could come back to life, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, so there are these very kind of vague, passive thoughts of, wishes of, things would be better if I were dead, but haven't quite gotten to the stages of developing If I could just skip the next two years. Yeah, or, you know, yes, just wake up in a new place, be a new person, kind of, you know, Uh I get a lot of that as well. And I think sometimes that can be people will panic and it's just like well no that's not really that abnormal most people think that at some point or another in their lives and and so yeah the not panicking is huge and just accepting i think with teenagers and and you know and particularly uh, i'm glad jennifer mentioned um you know what we call passive suicidal ideation um sort of the want the wish to die without you know having the the active intent to make yourself uh, kill yourself uh, with teenagers, particularly with driving teenagers, it's important to ask them about risky things that they do. I mean, what will happen a lot of times is that that kids will go drive recklessly so that, you know, they put, them in, they put themselves in a position mm-hmm. where something might happen and then they can feel like it wasn't their fault. Right. It was an accident. Um, or it's also a way of putting themselves in a situation where something might happen that's not lethal, and then they kind of check out how people in their life respond to that. How much concern do they get if they were in an accident, maybe yeah. that just injured them? Uh, obviously, there are a lot of other risky things that kids can do, uh, so I think it's important just to ask about risky behaviors in general. Okay. Um, and, and that's, again, another one of those situations where if you find kids that are that are just doing really, really risky things, good time to make a referral to a professional counselor. And so I want to go back to that. Where where along the path do you, you said, help me help me remind me, when, when do I resolve to get them in, in with a professional counselor? Anytime they're having thoughts of hurting themselves, yes. Okay. I would say 
Jennifer, as Jennifer pointed out, you know, passive suicidal thinking, the wish to die or kind of the thoughts of dying without necessarily an intent to hurt yourself or a plan to hurt yourself, um, it's still a red flag. I mean, particularly when that's paired with depression, because uh -huh. when things don't get better, passive suicidal thinking can grow into active suicidal thinking. Correct. Yes. So anytime we're anywhere in that ballpark, you're always better off to refer uh, than to not refer. Err on the side of caution. Okay. Now, in, in, in referring to outpatient counseling, I would, I would add to that if you've got a kid who is saying, yes, I have a plan, yes, I have the means to carry it out, that's one of those things they don't leave your office. Okay. Without either mom and dad being aware, right. them being taken to a hospital for an immediate evaluation, something like that. You know, I mean, depending on if they if they're that far down the line, it's kind of don't let them out of here. You should you should probably honest. be aware that, uh, and I know that people might be listening to this podcast across the country and not sure. just you know say thousands it. and thousands of listeners. Yes. Certainly, Jim, thank you for the, the, the uh, <laughs> and then those in the foreign countries as well. Yeah. <laughs> right, don't forget that's uh, correct. <laughs> Know your resources in your local area. Um, you know, most places should have like a, something like a mobile crisis team or unit that you can call that will come to you on relatively short notice and do an assessment right on the spot. Uh, or, uh, or you know, or have some sort of. You're saying municipalities have this in place? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, or I, that's good for me to know. I don't know that I would have. I certainly don't know who to call to make that happen. Uh, in my community, so I, I need to find out who that would be. Uh, of course, I'm I'm sitting here thinking. There's other there's other ways that you can make that happen, but uh, but I think you know playing off of Jennifer's point, it's important when you get to to the point that a person has an active wish to die and they have a plan and that you know the means are available to them that would be yeah. lethal. That person, not only, I mean, you don't call a counselor who could see them for an appointment next week. Right. You get them in front of a doctor who can decide whether or not they need to be hospitalized okay. today. Mm -hmm. And this would all, you're, I'm assuming that there comes a point you just play it safe as opposed to trying to think through, well, this is a student that loves attention, and this is a student that has tried to get attention in other ways, and so now... You, you don't concern yourself with worrying about how much that is playing in. You just, you make the call, you, you do what is needed. You know, even, and sometimes people do, uh, there another term we use is suicidal gesture. Uh -huh. And a gesture is where you do something that might not be lethal, but it's sort of intended to look like a suicide attempt. Uh, cutting is sometimes connected to suicidal gestures. Um, taking... Uh, you know, I had someone once that, that took a, a, a you know, a non-lethal overdose of an over-the-counter medicine yeah. and they left it out so that someone in their family would know that yeah. they had taken it. And But those things are also red flags. They're signs of problems, even if they're not going to be lethal. And, uh, and teens should know that that kind of behavior will be taken seriously. Okay, got it. And not ignored. So you don't, you would never try to find, you know, how serious it is, or or, or you just you treat it seriously. You, you take it you, seriously. You need to get them into, you know, the, the the attention of a professional right away. And and you know, these are the sorts of things. I mean, Jennifer and I deal with these every day, or mm -hmm. you know, very sure. very commonly. So, yeah. 
Um, you know, it would be probably uh, unfamiliar or unusual territory for a youth minister. So okay. you, you get them in front of those people who who have a lot of training and experience with that. Absolutely, absolutely. You mentioned cutting, which yes. is another one. A lot of my, you know, the, the people that I sent this request to said, if a student comes in my office and shares, you know, pulls her sleeve up and, and shows that she's cutting or, or says, you know, I, I, I've, I've tried this or someone else or whatever, what do I do? Help us understand I have I I can never I can't even put my head around why a person would cut himself. Is it is it worth trying to take time to explain to us why that happens so that we can have that understanding or or do you just go through and say if you find out here are the steps? Well, I I would want to listen and and try to find out and again do that in a calm sort of non-anxious sort of way as much as you can pull that off. Um, you know, in the early days of my career as a counselor, um, you know, cutting was limited to a certain type of client. Um, I am now seeing this happen with increasing frequency, uh, boys and girls, although I certainly see it happen more with girls than boys. Yes. Um, it's important to know that it is often an experimental phase that, that girls will do, and they'll do it together, you know. Uh, share or, their Kleenexes and yeah, and yeah, <laughs> so and they'll sh they'll share like they'll, they'll do show it. how big theirs are and who's bleeding the most and and I wish your listeners could see your face right now. <laughs> well, I just don't understand <laughs> now why this is happening. Why why would girls do this and share this? Well, does it not hurt so bad? I mean. I know I must sound like an idiot. I just haven't dealt with this, and I'm assuming there are other listeners that haven't dealt with it as it's well. It's important to know that, like like any experimentation, and, and of course, uh, you know, people who, teens who experiment with alcohol and drugs, I mean, this is something that we have become accustomed to. Um, and what will happen is someone will, you know, get drunk at a party for the first time, you know, maybe throw up and decide, I don't like it, I don't want to do that again somebody else might really like the feeling of being intoxicated yeah. and then they find themselves looking for the next chance to do that. In the same sort of way, there were there will be girls and I've talked to them, I mean, you know, they cut and they go, It hurt. I didn't like it. Yeah. And there will be other girls And who, I stopped. Like I, I stopped. Yeah, yeah. It hurt and I didn't like it. Uh and then there will be other girls who for whatever reason will become uh, attached to it, and and it becomes a it can become a compulsive behavior, like an intoxication. A well, feeling. Here's, here's what happens um, when you cut. Uh, the brain releases endorphins. Uh, you know, and I mean, and that happens if you're accidentally cut bad enough or injured bad enough, uh, or if you do it yourself. Um, and it it is probably one of the more difficult things to understand. Um, I'll just kind of talk about some of the reasons that I have commonly heard mm -hmm. clients explain Only to girls, me. or is this girls and guys? Girls and guys. Both. Okay. Um, sometimes people hurt so badly emotionally that physically cutting themselves becomes a distraction from the emotional pain. It's simply trading one pain for another. Um, I like this pain better than that pain. Right. I'll deal with this pain. Right. You can see it. It's tangible, whereas emotional pain sometimes it's, it's just on the inside, this. Yeah. Where is it? It's yeah. icky. It's awful. You can't do anything about it. Mm. Don't know where it's coming from. Which which you leads, can you can watch this get better. I mean the, these, or you can yeah. 
that your point leads into another one, which is I need you to know how bad I hurt, uh, and so then I got to hurt on the on the okay. outside. Um, okay, like now, a method of expression is right. expressing. Something Here's how I feel. feel. Right. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm pointing at my my arm. Right. Sometimes. Um, you know, there is this sort of emotional, what we might call diffusion, where, you know, I just, you know, I mean, I can't get a grip on myself emotionally, and the pain becomes a focal point. Uh, now, so let's imagine that uh, that mom or dad discover that, you know, Sissy has been cutting herself. We're going to pick on Sissy this time. Okay. Um, and they freak out, and, you know, and let's suppose that Sissy kind of likes being able to sort of get a rise out of mom or dad or uh, then all of a sudden this behavior takes on a whole nother value for them. And is that more common in a home where mom and dad are relatively absent or, or, or too busy or I don't know too that distracted? I would, you know, I mean, maybe it's where they're too over controlling, you know, and now I get a chance to push I control back. something. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's suppose that, um, you know that that a teenage girl and I'll because I do see it more often in girls than boys, but it, it does happen both ways. Uh, let's suppose that they get a certain response from their peers, or maybe you know suddenly there's some acceptance within a particular peer group by a teen who didn't really feel like she was accepted mm-hmm. uh, at home or at youth group or wherever. Well, then all of a sudden that behavior takes on another value for them. And I see that one a lot where it is a, it's a way into a social, into a social group and it's now you belong and now you have, you which kind of gets into this. Peeps. Yeah. Because it's like we get each other. We're, we're both cutters and we both, we both have pain and we both, wow. and it's a way of wow. relating. And to say the, the term cutters, I mean, now I have an identity. Yes. Yeah. Now I have a, a, a fit. Wow. So that sounds to me like the way I feel when I go to a a youth worker convention like Simply Youth Ministry Conference, which is next weekend. I'm going to be in Columbus, Ohio with all these youth ministers. And, and it and it's so cool to be in a room with all these people to get me. Yeah. That, I love that. You know, they, I don't have to explain my life. They know my life and and vice versa. And that cutter feels that way. In the company of other cutters, is is that what you're saying? Often. Exactly right. Yes, yeah. often. I, yeah. and, and that leads to more cutting and, and a desire to stay connected to this social group. Wow. And if you rise above your depression and the reason you're pain and you're cutting, a lot of times kids, they'll, they'll the be cutting ostracized. Well, no, oh, they'll, they'll be ostracized from that group because it's like all of a sudden now... They just, what was holding them together, that kind of bond is quite different. Your pain was, was the identity without that pain. Right. You, you don't belong here. Wow. And, and there are other ways this happens, too. I mean, for example, I remember being able to have a real honest discussion with a, an adolescent girl. Uh, I noticed that every time she came into my office, she was wearing black. Um, and I didn't think that this was an accident. And when we began to address it, um, you know, she was able to acknowledge that the black was her way of letting people know she was unhappy mm-hmm. without having to use words. And uh, by, you know, wearing black, she was also, uh, you know, being accepted by a certain peer group. Yeah. Uh, now, this is this has also happened. The, the kids in her youth group begin to call her goth, yeah. and they begin to ostracize her. So guess what happens you know, she's going to move towards that group that accepts her. Right. They're going to have more influence. She's going, going to begin going to. <laughs> uh, to begin to adopt their values and their behaviors, and 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 uh, you know, 
it's funny. You think of the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts, and they earn badges for yeah. doing certain things. In 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 that sort of a peer culture, there are badges that you can. They're they're not literal badges, but you begin to take on more and more of those things. And, and sometimes there are though um, the wristbands, uh-huh. all the bracelets that they'll wear. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's a way to cover. And you see somebody yeah. that's got all these. It's like uh, they, th- my peep, you okay. know, kind of thing. By the way, let, and, let, and, and I want to say this real quick. Uh, sometimes that those cuts are done where they can be seen easily, and sometimes those cuts are done like on the abdomen uh, or and the inner thighs where they can't be seen. And and, and okay. that to me is more of a concern because it becomes more of my uh, internal thing. I'm doing it for more psychological reasons rather than for social peer reasons. Right. There's not all that external reinforcement. It has right. something much more to do with my emotional state. Those are the more concerning ones. If, a, me if well. a person is cutting in a place where nobody's going There's, to just see it. And they're not it. demonstrating yeah. it and they're yeah. not showing people. And if, and, and if you think about it, you know, if a, a, a teenager who's doing things that get her accepted within a certain peer culture, even if we're concerned about their peer peer culture, culture i need to slow down <laughs> and jim uh, is so excited about about per, uh, well i mean wisdom. i am i am less concerned about somebody who's doing something to be accepted right. within a culture than i am about somebody who's suffering all by themselves mm-hmm. right. yeah and that's a that is a great principle that might be a way to segue into our next discussion about sexual acting out or sexual issues but but I want to make sure we're we're done here before we move on, um, and I think maybe we still need to talk about signs. You mentioned bracelets. What else should youth ministers like me be looking for to identify students who might be cutting? Um, and, and and I'm less concerned now about that student that is gonna that almost wants to get found out. What what are the signs you look for? You know, with with eating disorders, there were some specific look for this. Sometimes uh, they're going to wear you know hoodies in July. Uh, they're going to they're going to dress in a way to cover it up. Now again, with their peeps, they can show that off, but but around the people that they want to hide it from. Right. And then again, there's a certain value in the fact that I'm doing this and I'm I'm hiding it from my parents who don't pay attention to me anyway. Okay, you know, who are never going to bother to ans- ask me why I'm wearing a hoodie in July. Or long sleeves in July. Any other signs? I mean, you know, I, there. De- I mean, there definitely are certain. I would say uh, styles of dress and music and everything that you're going to see it maybe happening a little bit more. But that's very stereotypical, and it doesn't necessarily mean if you got somebody who's dressing really goth that they're automatically a cutter right. or vice versa doesn't mean that somebody that's dressing very preppy and, and you know whatever that yeah. that culture is isn't so I mean that part would be I mean I definitely I think there would be some percentage differences but still that's not necessarily a sign I would say okay so a little that assumption that's good to know too it's it, it's important to to remember that kids will do what what gets you know I kind of say you know plants grow toward sunlight and kids grow toward you know, wherever they get acceptance and love. And, and it doesn't make any difference whether that's their, you know, really tight, spiritually mature youth group or whether that's, you know, the the dropout culture, the druggies, the yeah. goths, you know, the emos. Uh, they'll go wherever they get acceptance. Mm-hmm. I'm a youth minister. Should I comment on this, the difference between talking about cutting in front of my group versus not talking about it? 
I'm starting to sense, you know, from some of our conversations earlier that maybe my thought that addressing cutting from the front of the room, you know, I, I might think that I don't want to plant any seeds, but but I, I'm it's I'm feeling almost like the worst thing I could do is act like nothing, you know, that cutting is not a possibility, that it's not happening, and instead to try to from my role as youth minister to say, the stats would say some of you are cutting. You just need to hear me say this, or I love you, and and here's you whatever else comes after that. Right, yeah. right. Know this, yeah. And and of course, to just stand up and denounce it, or to condemn it, or to say, don't do it, would be the wrong kind of would talk. be the wrong kind of talk. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Of course. But okay. To, to to explain, you know that a lot of people, they do use it as coping skills and that there's a lot of times there's more going on under, you know, and to kind of, again, just show that empathy and, and that you get it is going to make somebody more likely to come talk to you. Mm-hmm. And then maybe even, okay. you know, talk about other alternative, you know, coping, I would say would not even be bad, you know, within the youth group. Which, what what are some alternative coping mechanisms that a, that a cutter could turn to? I mean, a... a Eating ice cream? I mean, you know. (laughs) Well, obviously, a lot of this acting out um, is a way of using behavior to express something that they can't express in words. Um, It's always preferable to use words where possible. And um, and so having someone that you can stammer it out with, I mean, someone who can empathetically listen... Um, it's always better to talk it out to be able to express your feelings with words rather than to have to act them out with actions. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I like hearing that. It sounds like you're saying to the degree that I can give my youth minister, my, my youth group opportunities to appropriately and in the right context and with you know love as the environment to vent about their pain, to, to share the, the real things in their lives. Uh, journaling, art, I was about uh, to writing say, music. Art is huge, yes. Music, Any poetry. sort of artistic expression. A lot of kids will really get into that. Absolutely. Okay. So I have, for example, my clients, uh, any of my clients who are, uh, you know, if they're into writing or if they're into uh, drawing, you know, I ask them to bring their drawings into yes. sessions, and they'll talk to me about their drawings, and they'll explain them to me. And I will, you know, express a certain sincere appreciation for what they've done. Uh, maybe not necessarily that I see it as some sort of artistic masterpiece, but I see it as an expression of them, connected to them, and I care about them, so I yeah. can appreciate it in that way. And the journaling is huge, too. My females have a lot of success with that, is that when they have the impulse to cut... Rather than doing that, I do uh, teach them how to kind of get in touch with what's going on. What are you really trying to say mm-hmm. by doing it? And it's that I'm being ignored, I need attention, I'm hurt. So and they write this down. Right, you write it all down and then kind of figuring out, okay, well, what's the alternative? What did you do instead of that thing? You know, that you went and watched TV or went and talked to your friend or, you know, those kinds of things. Not So the journaling component mm-hmm. is, is good. I've had, uh, and, and you know, I don't know how well this would necessarily translate to youth ministry but but when 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 you need me to know how bad you feel i mean you can take a red magic marker and make marks mm-hmm. on your arm and then tell me about it mm-hmm. and 
you know, which is obviously better than right. coming in with right. with su- you know with sutures and right. uh, or open wounds or so forth. But it's a baby step toward an uh, it, it's baby steps toward what you know the ultimate goal would be, and and that's just them being able to own and express you know what they're yeah. feeling and to know it's accepted and that I have a voice and I can use it and it, I can be heard and it's okay. And that sounds a little bit like an electronic cigarette or, or a nicotine patch or something that would be a step in the right direction yeah. to what we really want which is you know no dependence mm-hmm. on on uh, cutting whatsoever. Boy I don't think I have learned as much in a 16 minute span <laughs> I can't remember the last time I, I, I felt like I learned so much. Frequent listeners to the Digital Side Hug will, will know, or probably could guess, that these conversations are not scripted. <laughs> and that is the understatement of the year. And so, I, you know, this is why I'm doing this. I love, I, I am so glad to know some of this stuff. I, I want to transition now into sexual behaviors. And, and I started getting emails and they looked similar, but the blank the, the blank filled in was different. A teen comes in my office and I can't quit masturbating or I'm, I can't stop looking at pornography or I got my girlfriend pregnant or my boyfriend, you know, is putting pressure on me or, I, you know, I have had an abortion. Now what? I'm, I may be gay. You know, all these specifics that we could talk about. But I, but I think maybe I'd rather hear you talk to us about how to... Whatever the sexual acting out is, whatever the, it's all confusing to teenagers because they, they, they're, they're on their way from being, you know, pre-sexually active or capable babies, you know, and children to becoming fully, you know, sexually capable adults. Hopefully, you know, that's the goal. And, and, and they've been created to do that. So they're in this confusing time rather than hit specifics. Can you speak to how we as youth ministers can respond in those moments to prevent the shame that is being aimed at them from other directions, internally, externally, society, sometimes even from our church? How do we how do we do that? Yeah, I think when you when you talk about that, one of the things that I talk about is that uh, a teenager is somebody who has all the equipment and none of the or little of the emotional maturity to know how to handle it. Uh, and it's kind of like having a, a Ferrari parked in your garage with the keys sitting in it and being told not to drive it. Right. Um, I think it's important in terms of dealing with the shame that you have to acknowledge that um, you can understand this drive. I mean, there's so many factors at play here. There's the biological drive to use the equipment uh-huh. in whatever direction you want to drive that Ferrari. Uh, there is the peer pressure. There is the messages of the culture that uh, that tell you that it's just simply a biological function and it's normal and natural and you should just, you know, if it feels good, do it. Right. Um, the the peer pressure that... And, and, and if it feels good, you do it this way. To, you know, it this here, way. Here's, yeah. Let's teach you, you know, listen yeah. to us. And then there's the, you know, the forbidding messages of parents and, and authority figures. And, and sometimes those are just outright condemning. Yeah, accidentally sending the message, sex is bad. Sex you know? is bad, yeah. And, uh, and so beginning with the empathy for, you know, somebody who's in all in that position... Um, that, you know, at the very least, a teenager is going to have sexual thoughts that may make them 
you know, depending upon the environment mm-hmm. they grow up in, they may feel guilty about that. Mm-hmm. Um, start with empathy. Yeah, and I and I think along with that, normalizing a lot of the drive of what does that like? Is it normal? You know, that just means their body's working right. If they're having a lot of sexual mm-hmm. thoughts, they're having you know sexual responses to certain stimuli. It's like, yeah, you're normal. You're healthy. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yes. Um, okay. Things like. Um, desiring for intimacy you know and that that craving for a relationship and having somebody that's like a normal natural desire and I think normalizing some of the drive of Mm -hmm. what it is helps with the shame and then just them to be able to get oh okay so I'm not a freak or you know and I can talk about this what is really happening with me and that's kind of cool Um, and it sounds like you're connecting it to the purpose for which God made us, you know. I mean, He's He's the one that did this. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think about, you know, with girls, a lot of times, uh, being sexual with a guy. Uh, I mean, obviously, the guy may be, you know, maybe pressuring that, but it, and and even with women, you know, young women, it is a, it's a, it's a substitute for for a way to feel connected. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, physical intimacy should always be connected with emotional intimacy, but. But sometimes, um, you know, for, for young girls, I mean, it's it's their way of feeling connected when yeah. it really... And, and again, if you we, we talked about ambivalence a lot, and I know that that's going to be... I mean, that's present in a lot of these things that we're talking about. Um, you know, so I would... You know, and, and I've talked with, with girls about, so how did you feel? You know, well, there were parts of it I liked. And, mm-hmm. and what other feelings did you have? Well, part of it made me feel this other way. Yeah. Uh, and so again, providing that atmosphere where they can explore all that ambivalence and not feel that they're being pushed this way or that. Mm-hmm. Is there any? And and, and a, we could probably do a whole podcast on on each you know kind of area of sexuality and and ways in which teenagers might choose to exp- express or or act out. Are are there? Some some situations, you know, sexual behaviors, or um, where a, where a youth minister might like me might be some things we might be listening for that might make me think, okay, we've got something going on that's not in the normal realm of becoming an adult. Yes, I'm thinking of, um, of course, an example would be someone touched me against my will. You know, some uh, abuse is an obvious one where. If someone expresses that they've been touched sexually in a way that they didn't want to, I, I immediately know I'm dealing with something that's not not normal and not a part of the process. You know, are, what else am I listening for? Am I listening for anything besides that to help me know this may be a bigger situation than just growing up on Earth into a, hu- a human adult? And maybe that was too confusing a well, question. Well, no, no. Uh, I'm thinking of compulsive behaviors okay. where I can't, yeah. uh, and particularly where there's shame and guilt associated with something that I cannot control or, or, or feel like I cannot control. That's where I was thinking too, just that feeling of I can't control it. Risky behaviors. Um, can, can Give me an example. A compulsive would be I don't want to look at pornography and masturbate, but, but I, can't I cannot keep myself from doing it and 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 it makes me hate myself you know or that like that kind of powerlessness would be yes. okay this may need some extra attention risky would be i'm 
I'm doing something that is illegal and I can't keep myself from, you know, exposing myself in public, for instance. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, unprotected sex is risky uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Pregnancy being one and and sexually transmitted disease being another. Uh, But let's say that the unprotected sex occurs, you know, with promiscuity where, you know, we're changing partners rather rapidly. Well, then we're we're really ramping up the risk level at that point. And... Uh, it begins to be something other than being driven by some biological drive to, you know, yes. have a pleasant sensation yes. or an experience. Um, I think of things like people frequently sneaking off at school into bathrooms to do sexual behaviors with each other, you know, multiple partners at one time, the group right. stuff. Yeah. I mean, those yeah. are the things it's like, okay, we've now moved and this is yeah. Yeah. something one else. Of the, yeah, it, it reminds me, um, if you think about, listen, and I'm not... Uh, if you're looking at, let's say, drinking, uh, and drinking is something, I mean, within the culture, drinking happens sometimes responsibly, meaning that, you know, you, you, you don't do it while you're at work or you don't do it while you're at school, you know. Um, and then drinking happens irresponsibly where you are drinking at work or you are drinking mm-hmm. at school. In the same sort of way, uh, when a behavior begins to interfere with a person's normal responsibilities or other aspects of their life, uh, then, you know, more red flags begin popping up. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, uh, it, is there anything else that you want to share with youth ministers about about helping students deal with and, and you know, kind of process uh, sexual acting out or behaviors? I know that you mentioned uh, shame and guilt a minute ago. Yeah. And, um you know, it's helpful to, to differentiate the two. I mean, guilt is about my behavior. Shame is about me. I mean, shame gets into this feeling of personal defectiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, guilt can sometimes be dealt with more easily than shame. Uh, the, You know, I, I like to say if you're on a desert island, you really can't feel shame because shame kind of requires somebody else in the room. Shame Shame for me, in my way of thinking about it, involves feeling exposed as comes defective. from outside. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. and 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 but I'm broken, right. and the healing of shame also requires another person—a person who accepts you as you are, knows your warts okay. and your wrinkles, and yet uh, loves you and accepts you anyway. That's great. Yeah. You don't talk a person out of feeling shame. You love a, you know, you you through acceptance. Um, I, I think that's where. I, it's not that talk is not important, but it's not some sure. sort of a rat. You don't rationally convince them that they're not defective. Um, you you have to accept them knowing all of those things. Yeah. That that that's kind of an es- essential ingredient. It's like you hold on to their value and they can't. Yes, I love that themselves. way of putting it. Yes. Say yeah. Say it again. It's like you hold on to their value when they can't hold on to it for themselves. Can you give us an example? Obviously, you know, you're not going to tell us who, but give us an example of a time that you did that um i had a female she um she was a victim of rape um and as a way of coping and dealing she tried to be in charge of her sexuality and she had multiple partners multiple years multiple um events that she is almost just completely weighted down with shame and and guilt for doing it um and her worth is is almost ceased to exist and so every time that we meet um i'm kind of 
challenging her a little bit on that about just like you're talking like you're you know calling her out when you're like you're talking like you're not worth much and reminding her like you know that 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 she is in spite of all of these things she's like i just told you this i don't care what does that have to do with your worth and just helping her kind of push through that and yeah that's great and i'm i'm thinking of a young man that i worked with who um was sexually active with girls um and you know could say i i i really like the sex part without having to deal with all the complications of a relationship mm-hmm. um, and and yet in the process of our counseling was able to say you know what I realize that without the complications of a relationship I don't really get the intimacy that I'm yeah. wanting that it's just sex um, mm-hmm. and so but but he you know came to recognize that you, you can't have one without the other I mean it doesn't work that way well, the net effect of all of this, you know, is that we want our students to, you know, have a chance to safely enjoy that Ferrari. You know, I mean, this mm-hmm. amazing thing that God has has put in our garage. Uh, so I really appreciate you helping us think along those lines. And obviously, you know, maybe we'll, at the, on the digital side hug, deal with some of these more specifically later. But I appreciate you guys giving us uh, some some tools in our toolbox to deal with this. I want to wrap up. There's a lot of other things we could talk about. Um, you know, I'm thinking specifically a, a teen who comes in and says, "I hate my parents," or "My parents hate me." You know, or or what's pretty another pretty common situation for us is, "I, I don't have faith," and and. I'm faking it totally, and I don't know what I believe, and I've, you know, the feelings that come from that, and I, and I wish that that we could keep talking about many of these other situations, um, and and even as I bring those up, I come back to some of the general principles that we talked about in that first podcast, and I think, you know, even though we didn't get a chance to specifically address every issue, we did get a chance to address every issue by by, you know, some of those principles of just being. Being present, not panicking, listening, loving—you know, appreciating—and um, being there. So, I love you guys. And and Jennifer, I just met you today. I already think you're wonderful. I'm okay. thankful <laughs> to get the chance to meet you. And and of course, you know, any person that Jim's think Jim thinks is wonderful, I, I think is wonderful too. But I'm speaking in general. I, I just I appreciate what counselors do. I was in graduate school and I had a, a a Christian counseling grad school class. And I remember thinking in that class, Bill Flat was the professor, and I remember thinking I I I I, I could never do this. I could never do what counselors do. I, I just don't have the gifts for that. And I appreciate so much having you out there, you know, and and, and in Jim's case, having you in my life. Youth ministers like like me probably think, as, in a, as a general rule, you know, how do you do what you do? You know, we're so thankful we've got someone to pull in or to hand off to. Can I ask you real quick as we close out to speak to, what do people like you think about us? And if it's not 100% awesome, <laughs> maybe there might be a way you could say, you know what, youth ministers, in this way you do make our job more difficult because because I've seen this, a girl from youth group who came in, you know, a youth group that rejected her, whatever it would be, what do you think about us and what we do and, and are there is there anything there that we can learn from? Um, for me, um, the thing that I appreciate most about you guys is knowing that you are in existence. I get to see my client one hour a week 
Usually. That's usually about how much, which means there's a lot of other hours during the week that they're out there navigating this world with maybe not a lot of positive support. So when they come in and they tell me, well, Wednesday night after church, I stay and talk with my youth minister or my youth intern for an hour. I'm like, awesome. Because I know, I'm hoping, you know, that it was within that context of that they were understood and it was supportive. And most of the time, my feedback is that it is. It is very supportive. Um one of the things I, I would ask for from you guys would be more of um, more interaction with us because um, the few times that I've actually had a youth minister, I've been given permission to speak with a youth minister and vice versa. It's been really powerful because it's not only been mom and dad and counselor on the same page, but also youth minister and teachers. And it's like this whole team supportive approach. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to overcome that with all the other you yeah. know influences and everything else that's coming into a kid's life. To have that kind of a, a team thing yeah. is huge. And so I would ask that if you do have a kid that you know is in counseling, ask the parents about, you know, can can we talk? And Because there's going to be things that they're going to share with you that maybe they're not going to have time or have a chance or even want to share with me. And right. that helps me be on the same page and, and vice versa. So open up those communication lines um, would be huge. And, and the other thing for me, um, the one, I guess the other, I, I won't say it's a complaint, but... I think it is very difficult when you do have a kid who is struggling with some mental illness or some of these issues that are pretty big in the youth group, how the youth group responds to that person, how does the youth group in general, because as Jim mentioned earlier, a lot of times there's an, they start getting ostracized, which then pushes them far. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen a lot with my kids because they are so different than maybe the norm that is within the youth group culture. And, and so figuring out a way to... I don't know, address that and help reunite even Mm -hmm. despite you've got this person over here who's probably pretty weird and different and maybe not really uh, (laughs) behaviors appreciated. (laughs) Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Yeah, it does. So to to just rephrase that, what I heard you say is fight and scrap to keep your youth groups, you know, being a place where no matter the behavior, no matter what comes to light, a student is loved and accepted that is reinforcing all the the love of Christ in in her his life. Yeah. Okay. Jim. You know, I think about the fact that I grew up in a small congregation. There was not a youth program, there was not a youth minister. But there were a couple of men who loved me and encouraged me and just told me of the value they saw in me. Um you know, it's obviously been a lot of years since I was a teenager. Uh, but I remember those men fondly. And, you know, it's certainly true that I, I didn't appreciate them fully enough at the time. I'm at a point in my life where I look back and there are these people who who I know were so critical to my development at that time. Um, and you mentioned faith crisis. I mean, you know, I was about 40 years ago, I decided to give up on being a Christian. I just decided it was too hard. And there was a it was a couple. They weren't attached to my church. I met them in another context, a young adult couple, and they just loved me. And they didn't. They told me that God accepted me, which I didn't believe, but I didn't didn't forget either. Right. But they, wow. uh, you know, they invited me to hang out at their apartment. I played tennis with the the man, you know, and and I remember deciding that if they could accept me where I was, maybe God could accept me where I was. And and I know. Quite honestly, you know, if it wasn't for God bringing Beth and Donnie in my life, I would not be a Christian today. So, 
Um, I mentioned sowing seeds in the first mm-hmm. podcast. I mean, realize that what you do is so, so important. Uh, also, and this kind of plays off of what Jennifer was saying, in our jobs, we work within all this structure. Um, and there's, you know, there are things that we can do, but there's so many things that we can't do uh, because our relationship has all these limits and boundaries and parameters to it. You guys get to operate within a much freer sort of a context. Yeah. Uh, in a previous job, I both saw people in an office wearing a tie, uh, you know, by appointment. Um, and I also led recreational outings where we, you know, we went swimming and canoeing and rode bikes and shot basketballs. Um, and, and I learned firsthand how huge it is to, for a kid to get to know you in a t-shirt and tennis shoes as opposed to mm-hmm. sitting in an office in a straight back chair with a tie looking just like their principal. Right. Yeah. And uh, so recognize that the freedom that you guys have with, you know, the context that you get to to work with kids, you have so much more freedom than we do. Um, in terms of, uh, of admonitions or whatever, I mean, uh, you know, do know that it's okay not to have all the answers. And I think what happens sometimes is when people don't have the answers, they give simplistic ones or they simply throw rules or scripture um, or condemnation. And, and not that scripture is unimportant, but you have to meet people where they are. And, uh, and, and again, I keep going back to this acceptance thing because that was huge to me in my own yeah, life. Yeah. I wrote down um, when this because it was so cool and I love it. And I forgot Donnie and somebody. Beth and Donnie. Beth and Donnie. You said they they loved you and they told you God accepted you, and you didn't believe it, but you didn't forget it. But I didn't forget it. And I I love thinking that's what I'm doing, you know, in the lives of my students, and maybe everybody listening to this can 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 sort of echo that sentiment that that maybe everything we try to say when we say you're beautiful and you're wonderful and not because of what you own or what you have or how you look, God made you with all this value and you're you're so valuable. You know, the ones that don't believe it, it breaks my heart, but maybe they won't forget it. And, and maybe, you know, 30 years from now, they'll be they'll be sitting on a podcast. And, and, and then the second thought that I had was, neither of you looks anything like Betty Bates, who is my principal So, so <laughs> that, that, uh, at Harding Academy of Memphis. Um, and it was really wonderful to have you on the podcast. I just really appreciate your perspective. Uh, blessing us the way you have given us practical and also just the philosophical, the 50,000 foot level stuff. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you so much. We're going to close out. I'm going to play the bumper music and then I'm going to give you each a hug. Is that okay? (laughs) I I love to do this. Is it a side hug? I I am a... uh, I'm a guy that loves to invade the personal space as as frequently as possible with people that I love, and I love the two of you. Uh, Thank you for the blessing today and and for for what you do in the kingdom. Keep doing it in Jesus' name. And we'll do the same, uh, youth ministers. And we'll see you guys on the digital side hug next time.